church. And if this is your first Sunday here, you picked a good Sunday. See, we have four big priorities in our church, and they all circle around the word connect. We, we prioritize connecting with God, and, and that is our first big priority. We want to connect with God. That's why we put a big emphasis on our worship services, and we want them to be good, and we want them to, to be in a place where you can hear God and connect with God and, and, and sense God working and moving in your life. We really prioritize that. We prioritize connecting with each other, which means that we think that if you're going to really grow in the Lord, it takes more than just this one hour a week, but, but that you need to be in a small group or a Sunday school class or something where you can, can share with, with other people and kind of wrestle with scripture and, and, and connect with each other. People will know your name. They'll be praying for you. You'll be praying for them. That's really, really important, we feel. And then our last big priority is connecting to the world. And we as a church, have, have, we can't conquer the whole world, but we've decided uh, four years ago now that we would partner in Panama. And so we've been sending teams. This year we sent five teams to Panama. Three of those were medical teams. And, and since we started in, in Panama doing the medical trips and regular uh, mission trips where they're billed, usually it's child development centers or work on churches or things like that. In the medical trips, we have seen almost 4,000 patients. We've given out over 5,000 prescriptions. Um, and, and we go down there, and they minister to us, and we minister to them, and it's a beautiful, really, relationship that we have there. A few weeks ago, in the summer, we had my friends David and Tabita Gonzalez, and you may have been here that Sunday. And those are missionaries who are working in, in some of the difficult places in our world, uh, Ecuador, um, Colombia, and Venezuela. And if you know anything about uh, Venezuela, you know that that's a pretty tough place right now. And they're ministering and you help them. Uh, and so it's, 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 taking a, it's taking a global look at who we are. Blooming where we're planted right here, but also recognizing that we're part of a global church and God calls us to reach to the uttermost parts of the world. A few years ago now, I, I went to a conference and the speaker at the conference was actually who's going to be our spiritual life or spiritual renewal week a speaker dr david busick and that that happens that starts in three weeks that's your commercial for that and he's one of the best speakers in the church of the nazarene and he'll be with us you're gonna love uh dr busick well i went to hear him speak at a conference and he told something that i suppose we we all know and that is simply that our world has changed we know the world has changed. Of course, the world has changed. It's not your, your grandmother's world anymore. 50 years ago, 1968, if you're a little bit older than me, I don't remember the Tigers winning the World Series in 1968. I remember them going to the, to the playoffs in 1972. So, so if you're a little bit older than me, you may remember 1968 was the year that the Tigers won the World Series and beat the St. Louis Cardinals in Yahoo yesterday. Just last night, they were celebrating that fact down at Comerica Park. Some of you may have been there. And, and so, but the world has changed since 1968 or 1958. In the last 50, 60 years, it used to be as it relates to church. Most people in 1958, even if they weren't a Christian, even if they weren't a believer, they, they, they believed that the Bible was the word of God. You didn't have to convince them of that. They just, they just believed that. You, you didn't have to tell people that there's a place called heaven and a place called hell. They, they believed that. They may, not, they may not have been living the way they, they should be living, but they believe that to be true. The most people believe that Jesus came, was, was born in a manger in a place called Bethlehem uh, to a Virgin Mary, and that he went to the cross and died for, for the world's sins. Most people believe that. 
Again, I'm not suggesting that the world was perfect in 1958 or 68. It certainly was not, if you know your history. But most people believe some of those basic truths of the church. And so, in order to evangelize them, the methods that churches used back then were things like revival. And they would have a revival where the, where the goal of revival was that you would invite your unsaved friends and they would come and, and find Jesus. It was evangelistic. The entire week was evangelistic. And, and, and so you would go up to a friend who wasn't a Christian and say, hey, we're having services at my church on Tuesday night. I think you should come. And they would say, oh, sure, I'd love to go. And they would go. And they would accept Jesus. And that's how churches evangelized back then. Now, you know, we're having spiritual renewal here, and I think that that week is important. But it's really not evangelistic like it used to be. It's now it's for baby Christians or even older Christians so that we might grow in the Lord. It's spiritual renewal so that we might be renewed. It's not as heavily evangelistic as it used to be. Why? Because people, uh, your, your, your friends, they may not just jump at the chance at coming to church on a Tuesday night. We understand that. The world has changed. It used to be 50, 60 years ago. That, that churches, uh, if you went by any church, they'd have a, a fleet of buses out in their parking lot and they would go into neighborhoods and those people who believed that Jesus was the son of God but really weren't living for him, they'd just send their kids off to people, on uh, strangers on a bus. They'd just leave their kids on the, on the porch and you'd, the bus would drive up and the kids would go. The parents had never been in that church, but they would just send their kids off. Now that, you know, if you go and say, hey, I'd like to pick up your kids and take them to church on a big bus where you've never been and I'm stranger to you, they'd say, forget it. You're not taking my kids. Get out of here. All that to say, times have changed. And the methods that were used 50 or 60 years ago, they don't work anymore. Times have changed even, I've been a pastor now for 30 years. This year is my 30th year. And, and, and times have changed from when I started 30 years ago. It's not your grandmother's world anymore. And life has changed. And it's easy to think, well, yeah, life has changed. It's, it's terrible. It's worse. It's worse. Bad, bad, bad. We can look at it that way, I suppose. Or we can look at the fact that, that God has placed us here for such a time as this. And that God is up to something. And that God is working in this world in which we live. See, we, we, can, we can look around us and grumble and complain about the way things are. Or we can look to God who can do all things and recognize that he has given us this opportunity to to share his love with the world that desperately needs him. See, the one thing that was true in 1968 and is true today is that God, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that God's love is still true and still real. And that God calls us to be a part of his mission. Do you remember when the disciples went to Jesus and they asked Jesus a very important question? They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Not, Lord, teach us how to heal people. Not teach us how to feed, you know, 5,000 people with the boys' lunch. Lord, teach us how to pray. The disciples knew that Jesus' power came through his prayer life. And so Jesus said, all right, boys, this is what you need to say. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God's name is holy. And then the line that we focus on a lot around here, may God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth, right here, on this planet, as it is in heaven. Or as we say around here, may your kingdom come and your will be done in Flint, 
in Davison, in Swartz Creek, in Flushing, in Fenton, in Grand Blank, in Clio, in wherever it is you live, in Maha, in 6415 Wyalea Court. May your will be done. May your kingdom come right here. You see, we believe that God not only told the disciples to pray it, but that he really wants to do it. And that God can make all things new. We just sang that song a little earlier in the service. Do you, do you believe it? The, the beautiful things song? It said, look all around. Hope is springing up from this old ground. Out of chaos, life is being found in you. You make beautiful things, beautiful things out of dust. You make beautiful things, beautiful things out of us. We believe that's true. That God can take even the, the worst among us and can transform us by his power and make all things new. That, that we believe that hope and life are possible today. We believe that because of Jesus, even the one who is farthest from him, even the one who has been, been gripped by bitterness, who has the worst of habits, who've, who've committed the worst of crimes, even they can find power and hope and love in Jesus Christ. We believe that. We believe that God can transform us and shape us and make us into his new creation. God is up to something, in other words. We believe that. You see, these connecting points that we have as a church, connect to God, connect to each other, connect to our community, connect to the world, we believe that God calls us to do that so that we might then reach our world. Not, not that the, the world is just doomed to to utter destruction but rather god wants to redeem this place i've called this sermon i suppose if i had a title for it it'd be awaken your your dreams and i wish that you would dream with me of what could happen look through the hope-filled eyes of jesus christ and what could happen if god actually answered the prayer that he told us to pray if this was just our prayer that we were thinking we should pray, then I suppose it would be one of those deals where we would just say, well, you know, maybe that's God's will, maybe that's not God's will. I don't know if it's God's will or not. It's just something that I thought of. But this is a prayer that Jesus said, this is what you've got to pray, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in your town as it is in heaven. And so I just believe, I just believe that that can happen. The prophet Joel said wrote this and then later peter quoted it on the day of pentecost but the prophet joel said i will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your old men will dream dreams your young men will see visions even my servants both men and women i will pour out my spirit in those days i will show wonders in the heavens and on earth blood and fire and billows of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness the blood and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I read that passage and I think, well, am I an old man dreaming a dream or a young man dreaming a vision? I got more salt than pepper in my hair these days, so I guess I'm an old dude dreaming a dream. But I want you to dream with me. I want you to imagine of what God could do. As we connect to God, connect to each other, connect to our community, connect to the world, what would that look like? If we could just dream a little bit. Now, I'm not a prophet. I can't tell you the future. I can't tell you what exactly will happen in the next five years. I don't have a crystal ball if those silly things would work. I don't even have a magic eight ball. Will this work? Will this not work? Nothing like that. I can't tell you, you know, who's going to win the Super Bowl. I could probably tell you who's not going to win the Super Bowl. But that's a whole other conversation. Don't want to bring us down for a week of football. But I think God is up to something in this old world. 
And the biblical notion of prophecy, non-biblical prophecy is just like telling the future. Biblical approach to prophecy is rather at, at the behest of the Lord pointing to what God can do. It's, it's offering a message of hope and promise, encouragement, wonder, creativity of what God can do. So if we start thinking, what could God do in five years? If we were just to take a small period of time, five years, what could, could God do in five years? Five years from now will be September 9th, 2023. What will you be doing on September 9th, 2023? Will you be sitting in church? Well, if you would, it'd be empty because that's a Saturday. I checked. Unless we have the hymn sing like we had last night, so maybe you'd be here singing hymns. But, but so let's add, it's five years in one day. September 10th, 2023. What will you be up to? Our, our babies, our babies will be, you know, in kindergarten. Our seventh graders will have senioritis. Our seniors, unless you're on the five-year plan, will be graduated from college already. There'll be new babies born. Carla, maybe, maybe, you know, we'll be grandparents in five years. I think I should just start calling you granny now, if that's all right. Just kind of getting in the, the habit. Maybe not. I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, five years. Where will you be? What will you be doing? What will be your goals? Something, well, in five years, you know, hopefully I'll be, maybe I'll be retired, I'll retire early and I'll, I'll, my, my house will be paid off and I'll have my, a larger 401k and I'll have a hammock in my backyard and a place in Florida I can go when it gets too cold in Michigan and, and I'll be living the good life. And then even if you're not ready for retirement, maybe you'll still say, well, I want in five years to be healthy and wealthy and, and happy and good. That's, that's what I want my life. And there's nothing wrong with healthy and wealthy and happy and good. That, don't hear that I'm, I'm saying that's not it. But what I am considering is that there's more to life than that. What I am suggesting is that, that while there's nothing inherently wrong with healthy, wealthy, happy, and good, I find that comfortableness sometimes is at odds with, with fulfilling a God-sized dream. And sometimes God's dreams for us isn't necessarily for us to be comfortable or safe. That's what we usually pray, right? God, keep me comfortable, make me comfortable, keep me safe, safe on the roads. We always pray that. Carla prays that all the time when we're driving. And, and I don't know why. This week, I, this is no joke. This week, we're driving, we're going down to Detroit or something. And, and she said, you know, I think if one of us were to lose our license, it would be you. I don't know. I think she said that right after I missed a car, hitting a car. And, you know, the Lord really does look out for me. And so I know her prayers work. And so, but so we pray that. And there's nothing wrong with praying to be comfortable. Nothing wrong praying to be safe. Nothing like that. But when our desire for comfort and security becomes the dominant theme of our life, when relaxation replaces obedience to God's call in our life, when security replaces fulfilling God's dream in our life, that's when there's a problem. You see, for, for a boy named David, if his dream was, was to be safe, he never would have taken his slingshot out into the field against a guy named Goliath. He would have stayed on the sidelines for sure. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if safe was their goal, they never would have, or they would have gone and bowed down before Nebuchadnezzar's uh, statue. Because a fiery furnace, it's not safe. And, and 
Daniel would have closed those doors or would he prayed to himself or something, he wouldn't have let people know that he was praying, that's for sure. Because a, a lion's den isn't safe. And surely Jesus would have stayed up in heaven with all the glories and the wonders there than coming down to the squalor of earth with, with the thugs and the gangs and the crosses that he found. Safe sometimes takes us away from God's choice for us. Following God's call is not always easy. The safe, the comfortable thing to do. But, if I can take a line from Jesus, Jesus said this, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And the answer to Jesus' rhetorical question is, yes, of course, you're much more valuable than a bird. But let's do what he says. Let's look at the birds of the air. Have you ever noticed a mama bird? Mama birds are workaholics. They, 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 they build the nest, they sit on the eggs, they hatch the, the baby birds, and then they fly around all day looking for, for worms and bugs that they can fly back to the nest to feed their baby birds. And then when the time is right, when it's exactly, exactly right, they say to those baby birds, chirp, 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 which in bird talk, if you don't know, here's my translation, I, this is the only translation I can give for that, is, is okay, baby bird, watch out, because I'm kicking you out. <laughs> you get the boot. And then that, that mother bird, you know how it works. The mother bird kicks their, the baby birds out and they, they leave the nest. And sometime between the place where the nest is located in the tree and the ground, those baby birds start flapping wildly their wings. And they quickly discover that their wings work and they take off and on away they go. See, that, that mama bird knew that they needed to get out of the nest and into the wild blue yonder. And if we could get into those baby birds' brains... They probably were thinking, wow, I thought it'd be so scary to be outside of the nest, but this is the greatest thing of all. I'm using my wings. Look at that. And I think that's very similar to Jesus, and he comes to us. And he says, you know, it's not always about comfort and ease and safety. Sometimes you need to get out of the nest. You can't stay in the nest forever. You've got to get out there. You've got to spread your wings, church, and fly. You weren't made to live in the nest. You weren't made to simply stay behind comfortable stained glass windows if we had stained glass windows. We weren't made for that. We weren't made for, for simply to be comfortable and safe and secure, healthy, wealthy, happy, good. We were made to go into the broken, to the broken world with the hope of Jesus Christ. We were made to, to share the love of Jesus with those who are troubled or lonely or hurting or broken or just kind of floating out there and we were we we're meant to share with them the secret the secret of joy the secret of hope the secret of of, of fulfillment and, and 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 love and that is jesus christ that's what we're made to do and so very well jesus may kick us out of the nest so you got to use your wings you got to fly in luke chapter 12 he told a story about a guy who thought to himself that life was all about being healthy happy wealthy wise or something he thought to himself, he, was, he had a great crop. He was a farmer. Had a bumper, bumper, bumper crop in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Man, am I a good farmer. I, have no, I just have had the, the record harvest of all time. I don't know what I'll do. And then he said this, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat drink and be merry. Woohoo! Party time! Eat, drink, and be merry! I've got it made. I've got all the, my bigger barns. I've got all my stuff in my bigger, bigger barns. This is awesome! Ba, ba, 
But Jesus knows, and you know, that life isn't about building bigger and bigger barns. And you can have everything this whole world has to offer. And when tragedy strikes, it won't help you one bit. And so Jesus, in his story, looks at this guy and quotes God. And in verse 20, he says, God said to him, you fool. Now, I don't know a lot of things about a lot of things, but I know this. I don't want God looking at my life and saying, you big dummy, Rob. You fool. I want him to look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not you fool. But to this guy with the big barns and a lot of stuff, he said, you fool. And he went on to say, for this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, this really isn't a stewardship sermon, but I want you to know God is generous. God is not stingy, but God doesn't need your stuff. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible tells us. So, so this really isn't a stewardship sermon, even though it says to be rich toward God, which of course we are. Jesus is trying to teach the lesson here that there's a, a fight to be fought. There's a race to be run. There's a purpose to be, to be lived out, an eternity to be contended for. That he has called us to be a part of his plan to reach this world with his great love. And we can, we can sit behind and stay in the nest, or we can get out there and use the wings, use our lives to make a difference for him. That's the point. In another place, Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Jesus is saying, think about it. Just think about it. What good is it, is it to, to suck in air for 70, 80, 90 years and, and, and gain everything, the whole world, but lose your soul? It doesn't make any sense. On Friday, in this very room, we had a funeral service for Reverend Wayne Grieve. He was over 90 years old. That's a, that's a long time to live. 90 years old. But it, compared to eternity, it's nothing. Carla's grandma lived to be 105. They got long livers in her family. But compared to eternity, it's nothing. And Jesus is, is telling us, or I guess the, the point of all this, life is short. Even, 95, even 90 years or 105 years, it's short. But God is big. And remember, remember the story in Luke 2 when Jesus got lost. He really wasn't lost, but Mary and Joseph thought he was lost. And he was in the temple. And they were searching all over for him. And they finally found him. And Mary was a little upset with Jesus, you know. He had run off on his own. And, and she says to him, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And Jesus' response was, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I'm doing, I'm doing my father's business here. In, in Philippians, uh, Paul says that our attitude should be that of Jesus Christ in Philippians 2. So you put those two together, our attitude should be like Jesus. What was Jesus' attitude is about his father's business. See, God wants us to be in the family business. And the family business isn't building bigger barns. The family business is going into a world that desperately needs him. The family business is, is seeing people who are broken and lost and lonely, that finding Jesus Christ, finding the secret of hope in life, that's the family business. And so, if we were to dream, if we were to dream the dream that God has given us, if we were to, to look at the next five years and say, what could God do in this place? You know, Paul in Ephesians 3 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. I don't know about you, but I've got a pretty good imagination. And I can imagine God doing awesome things. So let's get specific. What could God do in this place? Our connecting points. If we were to connect to the world, 
what would that mean? Well, if we were to connect to the world in five years in a greater way, greater than we could ever imagine, I think that would mean, I think that would mean that not only will we be in Panama, which we are now, we've taken the five trips, but it will probably mean that, we'll, well, we've, next year we'll find another place as well. We're not dropping Panama, we're adding someplace else, and maybe in three or four years we'll add someplace else. I think if we connect to the world, we'll just be going wherever God calls us to go. And in five years, if we're connecting to our community, we're already doing some awesome things. As you heard, you know, Convoy of Hope and our partnership with Dylan. When I first came here, can I tell you this? When I first came here, you know, our peak building across the way, when I first came, they were only using it really for upwards, and I think our students, our high school students were there on Wednesday nights. That was basically it. And I told the board, I said, man, we've got to use this building. It's a gorgeous building. We've got such great facilities. We've got to get our community in here and use it. And starting in January, it's already being used a lot. We've got now on Mondays and Friday mornings and Tuesday and Thursday nights, uh, we've got pickleball going on in there, which I don't even know what pickleball is, but it doesn't involve a pickle. I know that. So I don't know why they called it pickleball because there's no green pickles. But... So that's going on, and we've got a home group, uh, a, a homeschool group that meets on Thursdays, which about 200 kids that's going on, and we've got a, a community play date the first Friday of every month that's going on. Of course, we still have peak sports, and that will start meeting, and in January, the Boys and Girls Club is going to be having an after-school program in there. We've established a relationship with them, and they're going to be coming on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays and, and, and having a program for our neighborhood kids, and and. It's going to be used. What if you would add all that up, you would discover that that building will be used almost every daylight hour from every day that people are in there. It's saying, saying, we want to connect to our community, and that's happening. But imagine if we could connect even better. If we could be the type of church that, that not just goes and, and, and says, we want to adopt Dylan, but what if we adopt the next school, which is Rankin, and the next school, which is the middle school, and the next school, which is the high school? What if by then we're not just taking one bus, but we've got to get other buses to go to other schools because we're reaching them? And what if we had a, a, a waiting list of mentors and classroommates that say, man, we've got to get in there because there's boys and girls that need to know that somebody loves them and cares for them, and I'm willing to do it. See, we'd be the type of church, if we really are the church that's connected to their community, that the community would, would just die if we weren't here. If something happened, if this building burned down again, you know, it burned down 20 years ago, if it burned down again, if the community would rise up and say, wait a minute, that church, it can't go away. That's the one place it can't go away because, because that offers hope and that's a place that offers love and, and I can send my friends there and I know that they're not going to uh, be judgmental or hate them or whatever. They're going to love them and care for them and, and be there for them. That's a church that's reaching out to their community. Can you imagine that? Imagine what could happen. If we really connected to each other. Lord, let that be true. Build your kingdom here. Use us for your glory. We want your kingdom to come, your will to be done in Flint as it is in in heaven. Make it so, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.